0: But it's the second week of Advent. Uh, this is a season of anticipation and waiting. The word really means arrival. That's, that's literally what the word means. It's often used in referral to, in reference to, uh, the arrival of some notable notable person or notable event or or, or thing. So, if, as an example, that you might have heard of the advent of the digital age. I don't know if people talk that way much anymore, but it's certainly a phrase you might have heard. The advent of the television, and, and those certainly were major events in history. But it's not exclusively used for Christian use. However, I would argue that there really is no more notable event. Eh, there's, there's some that compete. Crucifixion, resurrection compete with the birth. But but there certainly is no more notable person in history than Jesus. And to stop, to slow down, and consider the day, the, the, the time, the the, the, the season in which He came. And that's, that's worthwhile. As we studied last week, He's the Son of God. He is the Savior sent from God. There's no more notable person to know. No, more, no, no, no one that's more worthy to know than Him. No more notable mission to, to be uh, aware of. No more notable purpose to give ourselves to even than His. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior sent from God. He, who He is and what He was sent to do are, are things we should know. We, sh- we, we need to know. If, if there's some advent that's to be remembered, I, I think it's Jesus' advent. But it's not just about remembering. It's about waiting and anticipating because we're not just sitting here looking back. That's not what we do as we celebrate Advent. We look back for the purpose of preparing us to look forward. In fact, as we study the text today, you're going to see Zechariah looking back. Being excited to eagerly anticipate what is to come. So let's just read it and we'll work our way through it. And I think you'll see easily what I'm saying. We're going to pick up the story in verse 57. To help you have some context. We won't read all the story of Zechariah. In Elizabeth and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. But, but this will give you enough context and I can fill it out a little bit. So that we can really hear what he's doing and what, what's being expressed in his psalm. It says this. Now the, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered no. He shall be called John and they said to her none of your relatives is called by that by this name and they made signs to his father inquiring what he had wanted him to be called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John and they all wondered let me just stop there give you a little bit more context what's happening Zachariah was a priest he'd gone into the temple to do the he, he had been drawn uh his his number came up if you will by lot, they had been. Cho- he had been chosen to go into the temple to burn incense before the Lord. When he's there, Gabriel shows up. The archangel Gabriel shows up and says, "You and your wife are going to be parents." This is shocking to him. He 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 disbelieves it. As a result, this, the Gabriel says, "Oh, because you didn't believe, you won't be able to speak. You're going to be silent." Now, a lot of people believe, and especially since. The people here are making signs to him. A lot of people believe that not only could he not speak, but he couldn't hear. He, was, he wasn't just made silence, he was living in silence. He was completely isolated. That's the perspective that seems to be, uh, that the, the text seems to demonstrate. Gabriel didn't just tell him that they were going to be parents. Gabriel told them what their son was going to do, that that they were going to have a son. So before the days of of, uh, ultrasounds and being able to look in and figure out what your baby is, they knew they were going to have a boy from day one. Before they even conceived, they knew they would have a son. They knew that his name was to be John. This was shocking to people. They were surprised by it because normally a firstborn or someone... Yeah, a firstborn would carry the name of the family. It would carry the name that somebody in the family had. Why in the world would you name him John? But it was this. This was an expression of faith. You need to see this. You need to connect with this before we go further. This was an expression of faith. He, he had disbelieved. He had disbelieved there in the temple. He had been disciplined by God, made silent, and to live in silence And here he is now at this point. Now his wife has had a baby. There's no denying that God was able to do that. It's eight days. They're circumcising him. All the people from around, all of their relatives and friends have come to celebrate the mercy that God had shown them. And they're shocked that they want to name him John. But it's an expression of faith. Pick it up in verse 64. And immediately... His mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke. It's shocking, surprising. This guy that's been silent all this time is now speaking again. But look at what he says when when he chooses his words, when he begins to speak. He spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the whole hill country of Judea. Everybody's going around talking about it now. That's why Luke is able to put it in the story, because there were eyewitnesses to tell him this is what happened. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. These people weren't in the temple hearing what God had said to to Zechariah. But they knew because of what was happening around Zechariah, that this child was to be special for the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and this is the song he sings. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed us. Or redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That we should be saved from our enemies. From the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He's blessing God. And then he turns and his attention lowers to his son and he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's Zechariah, a priest who's been silenced because of his disbelief. You just think about that for just a second. This is a guy who's religious. I mean, he, his life revolves around exercising the religion of the day. He's committed. He's at the temple regularly. Now he's been chosen by Lot to go into the temple. This is a guy who, if we looked at him, we would assume he's got it all together. He's got it figured out. He's going to be the faithful one that we would all seek to emulate in some way. But as soon as he's told that God's going to do some miraculous thing in front of him, his disbelief is evident. It strikes me as we come to this season that it's really easy for us to step into this season and just take it for granted. We tag Jesus on. We have our we have our traditions that are most important to us: time with family, meals that we're going to celebrate, gifts that we're going to that we're going to. Well, some people celebrate the giving of them. Some people, like me, celebrate the getting of them. No, that's, I'm, not, I'm not pushing for any gifts, but if you feel like getting one, that'd be okay, too. No, I'm just kidding. Totally, totally kidding. But, but the reality of these traditions, and then, and then we take a moment, you know, on, on that night, we take a moment, or, or on that day when we're sitting down with family, we take a moment in the midst of all the tradition and, and then tag Jesus in. You got some time Jesus go ahead and tell us what this season's really about. So I the, you you likely have been hearing Christmas songs and one that I've heard a lot and I don't know which song it is but it, but it, at the front of it is that tag from from uh from the Peanuts Christmas or whatever the name of it, Charlie Brown Christmas or whatever where Linus tells the story of Christmas. And I appreciate that for what it is. Trust don't hear me don't 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 don't, don't hear me naysaying or, or or just being harsh about it, but the reality is, is that that's the way many of us, even faithful Christians, treat the season. We'll give him his five minutes on stage, but then we've we've got stuff to get done. In some way, I can't help but think that that's much what was happening in Zechariah. How can it be that my life is going to be turned on the end? And I'm going to have this child. How can it be? It must be some form of disbelief that we would be able to enter into a season in which God put on flesh and dwelt among us. It must be some level of disbelief that enables us to build a season around all the traditions and tag the most important one on. As if that makes everything else worth. That that, that elevates everything else. I'm afraid that we've got it backwards. I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we'll be so focused on the gifts and the time with family and the meals that just tagging Jesus on is going to be a lot like Zechariah. I just can't believe you would do such a thing. But we have an opportunity just like Zechariah. To stand up and walk in repentance. That's exactly what he does. That his song is not just an act of faith. His naming of his son is not just an act of faith, it's a humble act of repentance. I doubted you, God, but because I believe you, I will name my son John when it makes no sense to anyone. I will will sing and bless your name even if no one else understands or heard the promises or can fathom what I'm saying. I will sing my blessings to you and I won't just remember what you've done. I will look forward to what you're going to do through my son and the one whom he points to. You see, at the very moment that he affirms the baby's name, John is given his voice back. He speaks. His last words of disbelief are replaced by... By words of faith and worship. Because he was made to remember. Who this great God is. He's not a God that gets tagged on to things. He is the God who demands being at the very center of everything. And certainly, worshiping him and celebrating him and and coming to remember him may, may require us to do things like spending time together and eating meals together and giving gifts to demonstrate his generosity to one another. But as soon as they become the thing, they've become the wrong thing. The first words he offers up, though, it's not about how difficult it was for him. It's not about how angry he was having been made silent. Not just empty and, and and words to to just say because I just want to speak. He worships God, praising him for what he's done, what he did in the past, praising him for what he's doing in the present. And then eagerly anticipating what he is going to do in the future. God has come to his people to provide salvation for his people. There is no amount of gifts, no number of meals. I don't care how much turkey you can eat this season. There is no amount of time you can spend with family that will be more earth shattering, more momentous, more notable than the advent of coming to us, to his people, to provide salvation for his people. Brothers and sisters, we don't celebrate advent because it's the thing to do. We celebrate Advent because it's the only thing that makes anything else worth celebrating. This is the truth that makes us able to get up in the morning. This is the truth that enables us to live this life God did not wait for us to figure out a way to Him. He didn't demand that we do the work. He didn't sit back and give us space to figure out whether or not we wanted to be saved or needed to be saved. God has come to His people to provide salvation for His people. This is God's work. It is God's idea. It is God's purpose. It is God's plan. It is God's power. How in the world could we do Tag it on for just a minute. In his commentary on this passage, Philip Riken points out, salvation is not a human invention, but a divine visitation. This is what he is blessing God about. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. It's not a human invention. It is a divine visitation. It is not something we achieve by going to God, but something God has done by coming to us in Christ. This is the truth that Zechariah had realized in the nine months of silence. He may have been silent longer than nine months. It may have been a month before Elizabeth actually conceived. We don't know that he went home from the temple that day. They do their part. God does his part. We don't know that it happened that quickly. But it took him, to, he has at least nine months to sit back and consider the reality. And, and in the moment that his wife conceives, he's confronted with the reality that he disbelieved a powerful God. He disbelieved the God that he got up and served every day. He, he had, in some way, fallen into a rut, been distracted by the realities of life, and just thought, there is no way this thing could happen. Elizabeth conceives, and he's confronted with the reality. God is at work. God has come near. God is visiting his people. And this is why. This is why we stop. Whatever we're doing, there's nothing. It's not that other sections of the Bible aren't more important. Please never hear me say that. But I would go so far as to say, if God doesn't come to us, you'll only ever find condemnation in his word. If, if, if these stories in Luke aren't true, if the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John aren't true, there's no reason for Peter and Paul and John to write the epistles. You see, if God hadn't come to us, all we would have is a law to abide by and some way to find our way to him. And so we stop every year, whatever we're doing, to commemorate what God has done to provide our salvation. And my hope is is that in a month of focusing on Christmas and the birth of Christ, is that you don't get tired of hearing about the birth of Christ. My prayer is, is that we are remembering what God has done. Our faith is being strengthened in this present moment that we might celebrate him all the more. And that the more our faith is strengthened because we remember what he's done. That we anticipate the day that is coming even more. So that on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning, whenever it is that you celebrate Christmas with your families, that you gather around those trees giving gifts, not because it's the coolest next electronic gadget that's come out or because you think this is going to satisfy you in some way, but because God has given you a gift that has promised you and empowered you to live with Him forever. That's a notable event. That's a, a, a celebration worth having. They would invade us. They would inform us and, and, and then conform our lives to it. So that as we wait on God, so that as we wait on God, our faith is strengthened by looking back to remember what God has already Done. This is exactly what Zechariah does. I think think likely he does it in his spare time while he's sitting there silent. But he clearly does it in his song. He tells us God has visited his people. Now for Zechariah, that's a present tense event. Like God is visiting his people. The, The reality is there's two women that shouldn't be pregnant that now by God's power are pregnant. These women, Elizabeth had, there's no way she could have given birth according to anyone's view had God not had mercy on her. That's what they say. God had mercy on her. We talked about Mary last week. There's absolutely no way that a virgin gives birth if God doesn't act. I don't need to go further with that. I thought about it, but I don't need to. You get it. God has visited His people for years, for generations, for for, for something like 400 years. He had been silent. I mean, just imagine this. So so we find ourselves in a very similar circumstance as Zechariah. God had been silent. The prophets weren't speaking. In many ways, there was was this sense that that God had removed Himself. The The last prophet had spoken of the Messiah coming, had spoken even of John the Baptist, had prophesied even of John the Baptist, but for 400 years there's silence. No visitations in the temple, no smoke coming down, no fire being shown. How easy would it be to to, to be in this place where after 400 years of priests going into the temple to burn incense, to offer sacrifice, and seeing no sign of God, to just begin to practice that Without really thinking about it. Isn't that what we do? When we get up and we go to church on a Sunday morning. We walk through the events of the day. We get frustrated because God didn't show up in some magnificent way. Yet we're dismissing the fact that every time we gather, we have an opportunity to hear the gospel. We're looking for some miraculous event. Some miraculous thing to end our difficulty. To to make our circumstance easy. And, and then we come to a season like this. And the whole world around us is talking about peace on earth. And talking about the good things that, that we can enjoy at Christmas. And, and the joy that comes. And we join right in. For a season. The beauty of this is that we get to look back on the reality of what matters here. God has visited us. Every other Old Testament, uh, or, or I'm sorry, every other religion in the world would have us find our way to Him, but in, in Christ He has come to us. He is visiting us. From the Old Testament looking forward, we're told He's coming. We, we look back and we can see that this isn't something God made up. This isn't something that God just did on a whim. It's not something that He just threw together. Oh, this is a good plan. Let's let's try this one. He'd been promising. You can all look all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and see the, the first pronouncement of the fact that He's sending a snake, a, a, a head crusher, the one to crush the head of the snake. From the moment that we fell into sin, He's pronouncing His plan that He was Coming, that he was sending one to come. Zechariah recalling these things and realizing they are nearer than he first imagined. He had no idea when he was walking into the temple that day that 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 would be the first moment that God spoke out loud through his angel in 400 years. It was just going to be another day In the temple, another routine day going to burn incense before a God they had begun to wonder if he was even there. A God they had begun to wonder if he even cared. And God visits him through Gabriel. I have been sent from God to tell you. This news now for on on our behalf we look back on this. Zachariah is looking at this as a present tense event. For for us we're looking back on this now. The New Testament looking back, he has come, and he has promised that he is coming again. Two thousand years ago he's come, but in so many ways we think he's just gone silent. The promise is that he is coming again. We wait here. We must not wait like Zechariah was waiting. We must wait like Zechariah who had heard from the angel. He is coming. Our God has visited us. He has come and now we await his return. We, we are waiting. And our faith is being strengthened as we look back on what God has already done. And he highlights the visitation, but then he highlights again. He says, he, he says God made his promise to prophets. He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets of old. This is going to happen. In this song, we're brought face to face with the promises that God had made. I'm I'm promising you that I'm going to raise up a horn of salvation. I just read that in Psalm 132. In in, in this song, we're reminded that we have a promise-making God. The promise originates with Him. It's His idea. He's the one that designs it. He's the one that determines and decrees how it will go. He is a promise-keeping God. He actually makes and keeps the same promise. If He says He's going to do it, He actually does it. And just a little nuance, He is a promise-fulfilling God. This isn't just that he's making them happen. It is, but he's providing the means necessary to make them happen. See, when God makes a promise and he says, I'm going to do this thing, he can't depend on us to do it. He won't depend on us to do it because we can't. But he can. And as we look back through the pages of the Old Testament, this is why the the study of the Scripture is so important. As we look back through the pages of the Old Testament, as we look back at the pages of the New Testament, we see God keeping, making, keeping, and fulfilling His promises. We see, as we consider what God has already done, we see covenants He entered into with men. Zechariah tells us of two of them. The, The oath that He made to David, the oath that He swore to Abraham... The covenant that he made with David, again, I read, uh, read from that just a little bit ago in Psalm 132 that he was promising David that he would sit a son of his on the throne forever. Well, you can read more about that. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. If you're taking notes, you can drop that, jot that verse down. We're not going to go and read it. But that's where the covenant's made. He promises that, that his throne would be established eternally. A king in his line would, would rule forever. In Christ, that's what's happening. The covenant with Abraham. Abraham was promised. So you can read about this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 7. Abraham was promised a son. And through that son, all people would be blessed. Not just Israelites, but all people. The people of all nations would be blessed. Isaac was born. He was a son of promise. Or at least as far as he could see in that near-term fulfillment, Isaac is that son of promise. Again, Isaac is a miracle baby. A baby that he was told he was going to have. A baby that was foretold. And Abraham gets tired of waiting, so he, he and Sarah concoct a plan, and they go off and they have a baby. He goes off and has a baby with, his, with, with her handmaiden, and, and you guys know how that goes. But God says, no, that, he, he's not the one. You see, Abraham, I don't need you to fulfill my promises. I do that. I provide the means, means necessary. I, I, I'm the one by whose power these things are worked out. And we see now, he, 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 here's Zechariah referring all the way back to that promise being made. Being fulfilled in Christ. Paul makes it clear as he writes to the book, in the book of Galatians. He makes it clear for us, Galatians 3.16. I can't remember if that's on the screen or not, but let me just read it to you. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. God makes that promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. He enters into this covenant with Abraham and says, I'm going to provide one. I'm going to give you an offspring. who's going to be a blessing to all nations. And Paul highlights for us. He shows us. He teaches us. That is Jesus Zachariah singing this song under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, this is the son. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is, there's reason to celebrate this birth. There's reason to be in awe because God has visited His people. He's fulfilling His promises. Remember what He's done. And your faith will be strengthened. And as we wait on God, it's not just our faith that's strengthened, it's our, our worship that's motivated. This is what Zechariah is doing. As we wait on God, we're motivated to worship as we reflect on what God is doing for us in salvation. This song is about salvation. It's about what God is doing to, 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 to take what He's done in the past and to complete it in the present with a final push to the end. That's exactly If you walk through it, you see present tense realities, past tense memories, and future looking forward to what He's going to do through John the Baptist and the one that John the Baptist came to represent. This song is about the salvation that God has been working. That's why when we sit here in this moment, we don't just look back, but we look forward. Because God is still working out this salvation in time. And he calls out some specific things that God is about doing in salvation. Redemption. He, he says that he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. From old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show us mercy, promise to our forefathers, and to remember His holy covenant. Where's Where's my redemption word? Oh, it's at the first. I've missed it. I'm waiting to, to hit it. God of Israel, for He has He has visited and redeemed His people. He's redeeming us. There's a reality that that, that word is a is a is a, is almost sometimes synonymous with the word salvation. But it's specific in the sense that it shows us what God is doing to save us. He's redeeming us. He's buying us out of slavery. There's this perspective. Again, it's a looking back. It's a a memory of the fact that the Israelites were were enslaved by enemy after enemy after enemy. They were rebellious and God sent them into... He judged them and He sent them into captivity over and over and over and over and over and over. He redeemed them out from under captivity... And he's doing the same thing today, Zechariah says. He, says. he says that he's raised up a, um, he, he's redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Um, the mercy word, where's it at? Goodness, I'm sorry. Oh, verse 72. To show mercy, promise to our fathers, uh, and to remember his holy covenant. He is showing mercy. We talked about this last week. There's this reality that, that mercy is not, it's not just saying, I'm not going to give you mercy. What you don't, or what you deserve. He's not just withholding judgment, although he is withholding judgment. But you have to recognize, you have to see this. As he withholds judgment, if that judgment isn't placed somewhere, then he is no longer a holy, righteous God. Justice has to be served. So in His mercy, He is not just simply withholding judgment from us. He is exercising justice so that the payment for our sin is made. Mercy and justice go hand in hand. You cannot say you're being merciful to someone if you aren't also working out justice for them. So let me just use this as an illustration or example. We used to have a, an organization uh, that used the house next door called Go 61 through a series of events. They've disbanded. They're not doing that work anymore. But there was a reality that they sought to help people in, in human trafficking, human sex, uh, sex trade, sex slave uh, kind of stuff. And they sought to help prostitutes come out of prostitution. They sought to, to freak children from uh, sexual predators and things like that. Um, and they did some good things. Uh, there's legislation now in Missouri because of some of the hard work that the people at GO 61 did. They, they were there at the signing of the law, things in the law because of the part that they played in it. There's some good things that they did. But what they realized and what they learned pretty quickly was as they were talking about this justice and bringing justice to these women who had been abused and traded for sex and were uh, uh, had become a commodity. What they realized that working justice for them was more about showing them mercy, removing the consequence of the sin that had gone against them, but still bringing justice to the perpetrator. Getting them out of a situation is great. But justice demands someone pay. The person who deserved it, the person who who needed it, the person who was perpetrating sin needed to pay. And, and they would. They, so, so they would seek not just to bring mercy and relief of suffering, but they would bring uh, uh, the, the authorities. They would bring police. They would bring FBI. They'd bring uh, There's a, a, a group here that, that uh, is part of the Homeland Security that they would work with closely, and they would report so that, so that perpetrators, pimps, and, and people who were doing this stuff behind the scenes would be arrested. That's the picture that what God has done for us. In Christ, He is working mercy. He is providing justice so that He remains holy and righteous and still relieves our suffering. This is what He promised. Let's think about this. He didn't make covenants with Abraham and David and anyone else because He needed the covenant. You get that, right? Like, this isn't His requirement. He's not doing this because He needs the covenant made. He could do these things without ever entering into covenant with anyone. He told these people this. He promised them this so that they would know to expect it. So that they would know to look for it. To to look for his mercy. To look for his redemption. to, To long for it even, if you will. So that they would know that there was coming a day that they would be able to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. You just think about what he just said there. People who were rebellious and who had been sent off into captivity and were now under the rule of another government, another authority, were being punished for their rejection and rebellion of their God. He's saying, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to give you mercy so that you can serve before me in holiness and righteousness. I'm removing your fault. I'm making you clean. I'm forgetting the rejection and the rebellion that sent you into captivity. And I am displacing it so that you would be holy and righteous before me. And and, and I found this in my study this time. The, the last time I studied this, I didn't see this. But it's pretty powerful when, when you slow down, when, when you hear it. It says, might serve him. Immediately, I think we're going to put in our mind this servile, like I'm beaten down and I that the word in the greek is the same word that paul would use later it's a nuance of the word that paul would use later in romans 12:1 but the translators translate as our spiritual act of worship this is not service as a slave being beaten down. That's due loss This is the service of one who honors the one they serve. Who does what they're doing in order to honor Him. Who longs to serve Him because that's the way we show Him how much we appreciate Him and how much we trust Him. It's exactly what Zechariah is doing when he realizes I have been sinful in my disbelief and now today... My wife has given birth to a baby, and eight days later, we're gathering to circumcise this baby. I should not have. I am going to walk in faith. I am going to name him John. That is the act of servile worship. He longs to honor God by his life. And so he does. And the very first words he offers are not words of, of aggravation or anger towards God. What in the words you made me silent for? I could have told everybody about you if you just gave me a chance. He serves him by honoring him with his words. This is the kind of service that he's saving us towards so that we can do it in holiness and righteousness as ones who he sees as pure. In this present moment, we've talked about this a lot lately, in this present moment, as the Lord looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees his righteous child. He sees one who is holy and righteous, who is able to serve or worship him in life as one who is holy and righteousness. This is what God is doing. and He's doing it every day. And you may feel like he's silent. You may feel like, where where is he when I need him most? You may feel like, Brothers and sisters, he has promised that he is with you by his Holy Spirit. We even see that pictured here. We even see that expressed here. As Zachariah begins to sing, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. We are told through the scripture that the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us and lives with us. We are told and promised by Christ that he will be with us every day in every way. See, as we wait on God, we are strengthened in our faith as we look back on what he's done. We are motivated to worship as we reflect on what God is doing in this moment for us in salvation. And I believe as that works itself out in our lives, we will find ourselves just like Zechariah, As we wait on God, we are inspired to eagerly anticipate the day that God finishes his work of salvation. See, when Zechariah quits doubting God, he begins seeing what God has been doing. He begins seeing what God is currently doing. And then as he begins to address his son, he begins to look forward to what God is going to do. As he pronounces this over a baby, it's not one, this baby's not just going to jump up and go do that. Right? You've had, most of you know what it is to have an infant eight days old. They're not going to get up and jump. And, well, I mean, I guess God could make that happen. But that's not... Zechariah is looking forward to the, to the life that this child has been given. This life that this child has been, uh, has been placed upon this life. And he begins to anticipate this. He begins to long for it. He begins to desire it. And Jew child will be called the prophet of the Most High. He says this with certainty. He's not doubting anymore. He's not questioning. He's not... Thinking, oh, I I hope this could actually happen. I, I think it might possibly happen. He is totally consumed with the reality that God has worked, is working, and will continue to work. You will be called the child of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. That's a confession that he knows Jesus is coming. Now don't miss this, and this is another part of the context, we can't really go back and read all about it, but he already knows Mary is pregnant, a virgin is going to give birth. He has heard her story. She stayed in their house for three months. This is no surprise to him, the Lord is coming. He's convinced and he's anticipating the day that the Lord is born and that the Lord grows and begins to do the work of salvation. He, you've gone, you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. No longer are we looking back on the days when God is just delivering people from an enemy. No longer is He just calling them holy and righteous because He's brought them out of captivity. He is forgiving them of their sin because of the tender mercy of our God. This is the work that God has been building toward all this time. Everything he did in the past was a picture. Was a representation of the day that he would come. And he would lead us out of captivity to sin. he would forgive us of that sin by his tender mercy. So that we could walk before him. In his light. Knowing the way of. Peace. Brothers and sisters, God has come to his people to provide salvation for his people. If you count yourself saved, you have been visited by God. He has been working for generations to come to the point where he would visit you, where the promises that he made through the prophets would become real to you. Where the covenants that he made with Abraham and David would be made real for you. He is working in your life in this moment to redeem you. To give you mercy so that you can worship him in your life as one who is holy and righteous. But there is more. He has promised that He is coming again to take you to be with Him forever and ever. In a place where there is no tear, where there is no death, where there is no pain. Where we stand in His presence. We see Him with our eyes. We can touch Him with our hands. We can walk with Him. Side by side. Where we know the fullness of His his grace. Where we are no longer separated by, by dark and dim glass. This is the salvation that he has not only worked, not only the salvation that he is working, it is the salvation he has promised he will complete. We remember these things. We think on these things today and we look forward to these things because God has come to his people to provide this salvation for his people. And so in this season, in this season, let me encourage you. Don't just tag Jesus on. Don't just give him a few minutes so that you can feel good about the rest of everything else. Remember what he did. Remember what he's doing and anticipate what all this means about what is to come. Will you pray with me?